designed. I only listen to criticism from people who I know love me and respect me and care for me. You know what I'm saying? Like some dude that don't have no equity, no sweat equity. How did he get your attention like that in the first place? You need to, you like need to mature. How uh, how does a stranger, right. a person who's done absolutely nothing for you, they they have not helped you build anything significant, help you pay no bills. They haven't done nothing for you. How did they get that power? Where, where, why would you even allow them to get under your skin like that? You don't even know who they are. So that's why when I tell you I don't read negative comments, it's not that, okay, I'm on YouTube and I can't look it up, but I put content out. I'm not a reader of comments. That's not what I am. That's not how I got to where I am, the impact, the influence, the income. I didn't get here reading negative comments. I got here putting something up so people who don't have nothing to do can come to my site and criticize me because that's their job. That's what they do. I don't do that. And so you're not about to pull me away from giving you a job. Like I gave you a job. You ain't give me a job. You don't have nothing. All you do is criticize and critique. And that was your Monday morning motivation from Eric Thomas. Yeah, don't listen to the critics all the time, you know, especially if they're not doing anything or they're not in a position that you want to be in. Ask yourself, would you swap lives with that person that's commenting or giving you crap feedback? Anyway, welcome to another episode of the Redesign Podcast. It's Andrew, aka Mr. Katebox, and this week we've got another special guest. But before that, Instagram's got a new widget, the new join chat sticker to help promote private group discussion. So the group chat is coming to Instagram. Also, what's your degree worth? Tech firms, big tech firms such as Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple, they don't really require a degree anymore. We're going to have a quick look at that. And also we are joined, of course, by a special guest, David Elliott from Elliott Shepherds. All of that coming up after the intro. Are you sure you can blame it on social media? Flexing is good for business. Spending money makes you money. Bitcoin down more than 30% this week. Redesigned. You've got to put in the effort every single day. Running a business isn't for everyone. They need role models and not just movie stars and athletes. We are the digital influencers. They're creating content. There's no denying the power of digital media, but it also poses a real challenge. So Instagram is launching a joint chat sticker. If your DMs are not blowing up right now, then they probably will. If you're on Instagram, if you're a content creator or a business owner, you just want to build a following on Instagram and you're kind of running out of ideas on how to grow your community or grow your email list or anything like that. Email lists, that's a very important topic. I'll probably do a a podcast about that. Um, But the reason why I'm talking about this is because it's a lot harder these days to kind of grow your following and grow your community. And the key word here is community. A lot of people these days are saying that Instagram is getting a bit boring. It's getting a bit stale. Everyone's kind of like posting the same kind of thing. And I kind of agree. I've kind of like taken my foot off the gas when it comes to Instagram. And what's lacking a lot of the time is this whole community thing. Like um, Twitter definitely has that whole community thing. It has its groups. Well, there are no actual groups like like on Facebook but you know the community on Instagram isn't as tight the conversation doesn't actually there is no way to kind of facilitate conversation as well as you can on platforms such as Facebook and Twitter but I think this is definitely going to change the game for Instagram moving forward you're adding that group community format to it you're taking the conversation from one-to-one dms to a group chat environment and it's going to be obviously based in stories so it's going to be something that you can put into your instagram stories get people together um so if you're promoting an event or a product or a service or whichever you can actually have a conversation with groups of people 
um, engage with them a lot better and then maybe take that relationship offline maybe put them into send a, a link to your email list um, that's something I'll probably be experimenting with in the future but we'll see we'll see it looks like a very good addition very useful addition to Instagram if I'm honest especially from an entrepreneur or creator point of view we've all been told to go to school go to college go to university get a good job a nice safe and secure job and that model clearly is working for some of still in today's market yes it's working for some um, especially if you're in a very very focused um, specialist area such as medicine or law yes before you start coming for me yes a degree is worth it in certain scenarios but for the majority of people it's just an accumulation of debt i mean ask yourself this question how many people do you know that have degrees that actually regret it or how many people do you know have degrees and they're actually working in their dream job well it's come to light that the big four tech companies in the world amazon facebook apple google are not really looking for their job candidates to have degrees anymore it's uh it's kind of becoming an outdated thing it's not necessary it's about having the skill set and you can learn anywhere especially with if you just go and sign up to like a online course or you look at things like udemy or even on youtube if you're learning from the right people and you practice yourself you can actually become great at some very very specialist areas and actually um you can make it work for you and get really really good jobs out there um rather than depending on a degree we're told that we need that degree that piece of paper that validation from an accredited source you know um but all this especially with automation coming a lot of jobs are going to get replaced the emphasis on having a degree hmm is debatable Let's go to a quick snippet. So recently, Business Insider came out with an article talking about the fact that Apple and Google no longer require four-year degree. And on top of Apple and Google, you got IBM, Bank of America, Netflix, and many other companies. So think about all these universities that constantly pitch the idea of, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, the reason why you're sending your kid to our school and spending $200,000 because we have the highest percentage of hiring people at Apple, Google, IBM, B of A. That's why you put your kids through our school because we guarantee a good job. Those days have changed. By the way, it's a pretty scary time right now for universities. They are literally shivering. If what I'm about to talk to you right now actually takes place, things are gonna dramatically change with the educational system the next decade. Let me get right into it. Point number one, speed is every single college and university's worst nightmare. Things are changing so fast right now that everybody's worried. This isn't a good thing for universities and colleges because universities and colleges, think about it this way. If I'm running a company, if I'm running a business, if I'm Google, Apple, IBM, B of A, who do you think finds out first that things are changing faster, that new things are needed? Universities or companies? Who do you think finds out first? First is companies. Then universities find out about it. So who pivots first? They do. So these companies are starting to say, why are we waiting on them to pivot to us while we can pivot not having to wait for them? They are slowing us down. They're not teaching the stuff we want because they cannot catch up with the current speed that the marketplace is going. These guys are getting killed simply due to speed. Number two, memory is no longer needed. There used to be a time that everybody had that smart uncle. Everybody had that smart cousin, that smart relative. Matter of fact, what is that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Wasn't one of the things was what, 50-50, all these other things, and one of them was what, phone a friend, right, is what it was, and you would call the uncle. Yes, I'd like to phone a friend who? Uncle John, he's the smartest person in the world. You'd call Uncle John, Uncle John, you know, hey, who was the 23rd president of the United States? Wow, let me tell you who it is, it's this person, right? That person doesn't exist. A strong memory today no, no longer is as important as it used to be, watch this. Hey Siri, who was the 23rd president of the United States of America? The answer is Benjamin Harrison from March 4th, 1889 to March 4th, 1893. You know, you know the people that are very good at math? Watch this one here. Hey Siri, what is 27,227 divided by 13? 227 divided by 13 is about 17.4615. Can you do it as quickly as Siri does it? Or Google? 
Uh, can you do it as fast as Alexa does it? What happened there? See, this replaced all the people that have great memories. So you'd go to school because, oh my gosh, you're going to be able to work on this. Doesn't matter anymore because these machines, that by the way, all these machines that you're talking about, all of these machines are enemies to universities today. They are enemies to universities today because that keyboard, no one memorization anymore, no longer that important today. Number three, computer science degree is obsolete within three years. You get a computer science degree today within three years, it's obsolete. Number four, teachers need to go to school. Not high school graduates need to go to school. Teachers are outdated. Let me explain to you why. If a teacher got his or her degree in 1988, that's an outdated degree of 1988 today. Now somebody may say, well all teachers do is they teach what the curriculum is at a university. Well fine, the curriculum that's being passed on to the teachers is outdated. Let me simplify it for you. Somebody sits there from companies and tells somebody to tell universities that their curriculum is outdated. They go and tell a group to come up with a new curriculum and then they have to get it to provide the state, then the state has to get a reply, number the person, then finally leads to the teacher to teach the new curriculum that's already taken 18 months to get approved, that is already outdated. So teachers need to go back to school and learn from the new generation that's coming up on what really today's times are. We sent a couple of our guys to Wharton Business School two weeks ago, $12,000, $13,000 a pop. Then they tell me, they say, you know, one of the professors got up and his talk was digital media and this is his opening. Listen, I just want to let everybody know that's here at Wharton in business school, what I'm about to share with you right now about digital media, some of the stuff may be outdated, and you guys may know some of the stuff more than I do, but don't judge me. Let me just share with you what I learned today. Wait a minute, let me get this straight. We are spending $12,000, $13,000 to send them to school for you to teach our guys outdated material that you haven't updated yet? Why the hell are we spending money sending people to school for what? Uh, it's all a mess, mate. It's all a mess. But anyway. <laughs> Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. You know, we use a lot of the same kinds of programs. Yeah, like Microsoft Office. But uh, we retain a lot of what makes us us. But you should see what this guy can do with a spreadsheet. It's insane. <laughs> oh, shucks. Yeah, and he knows that I'm better at life stuff, like music, pictures, movies, stuff like that. Well, what, what, what exactly do you mean by better? By better, I mean making a website or photo book is easy for me, and for you, it's not. Oh, oh, that kind of better. Yeah. I, I was thinking of the other kind. Cryptocurrencies. Hey, Alexa. Music video? I can't see it. If the music don't sound good, who cares what the picture looks like? Then Pioneer gives me their laser disc player. It's a video turntable that works with a laser beam, and that laser beam makes all the difference, they tell me. I'm a little skeptical, but I listen. I listen to Flash Dance. I listen to Duran Duran. I listen to Raiders of the Lost Ark. I even listen to me, and I sound good. I sound better than good. Fact is, the stereo on the Pioneer Laser Disc is as good as anything I ever heard on my stereo. And according to the experts, the picture blows videotape away. <laughs> now, who am I to argue? The Pioneer Laser Disc brand video disc player. Video for those who really care about audio. I like it so much, I got one for my friend George Sherrod. For the Laserdisc dealer nearest you, call 800-621-5199. So I had a chat with David Elliott from Elliott Shepherds, qualified teacher, mentor. We had a really good conversation. Let's jump into that right now. Congratulations, by the way. For old. <laughs> The PGCE. Thank you. For people who don't know what a PGCE, what is what is that? What does that stand for and what actually is it? Oh god. So postgraduate certificate in education. So basically it's a teaching qualification. So it means that um I can basically teach, especially with secondary, I think it's you can also teach primary. So mine's in secondary citizenship with social sciences, which is basically RE history, geography, citizenship sociology psychology yeah for the most of it. so but you've been you've been active though you've been on the job as well right yeah so so how long have you been in that for so i've been teaching i guess the, the program itself is a year but i've been i guess like teaching within my organization or my previous workplace for about three or four years so i was doing workshops and seminars and things like that but 
having done my PGCE, you learn the art form of like teaching is an art form. So you learn all the different little things that make a lesson or especially for my my business, a workshop much more smooth yeah. and a lot more, I guess, valuable to those who are attending. Right, right. Mm. So what is your experience with like teaching the youths at the moment? <laughs> you know, we're living, we're living, in, you're laughing because you know we're living in a very funny time, right? <laughs> Do you know what's funny? One of the things that was shown to me when I first started the course was this quote from Actually, I'm not going to tell you because I'll tell you afterwards. Basically, this quote that says kids or teens these days, they don't stand when their elders walk in. They just love material things. They're rude. They have no respect and they're spoiled. <laughs> and um, when I showed that to, because I've shown it to some of my students and I asked them, when do you think this was written? And they say maybe a year or two ago. I say, no, this was written by Socrates probably about anywhere between 2000 to 2200 years ago. Wow. Teenagers haven't necessarily changed. Technology has definitely changed. Yeah. But the behaviors that are exhibited as a result of said technology yeah. haven't changed. Because now it's social media. Before it was maybe gaming. Before mm. that, it was television. Before that, it was rock music and Elvis and his pelvis. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, is, there's always been that thing about teenagers having more, for very good and obvious reasons, yeah. more technology or more access to certain things that have therefore changed or seem to have changed their behavior. But actually, it hasn't. Hasn't actually changed. No. So I always take that into account because for me, one of the things that I live by is that some flowers should never forget that they were once seeds. Mm. So I've got a brother who's 10 years younger than me. And yes, he's annoying. But I also remember how I was when I was his age. Mm. And when I think about it like that, to be fair, there's not much difference apart from the fact that he's got an iPhone and I had a Sony Ericsson, which basically I don't think even think exists anymore. <laughs> so there's not much difference in that sense. Yeah. But obviously the technology is different. Yeah. yeah. That's very interesting because... Sometimes I think of myself as a grumpy old man. Like I, I would have thought that that thing was written like last week, bro. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, you know, the respect thing, the community thing mm -hmm. is not as important as it once was. Mm -hmm. We don't really rate our elders as much as we did back in the day. Whereas now, I find that the youth of today, this could just be a very blanket statement. Yeah. It's very anecdotal. Like I don't have any evidence, but yeah. this is what I kind of gather from what I've observed. Yeah. They rate, celebrities yep. more than they rate, you know, the average Joe Bloggs walking down the street yeah. I mean, who may have made a name for himself doing something outside of media, sports, yeah. entertainment. They, It's like, they're kind of only interested in people who have like fame, mm. status, mm -hmm. material, yeah. material items that yeah. they can say, yeah, you know what, this person is successful. Mm. So... You reckon that is not something that has changed or has been amplified more by social media I or... I think you're on the right path in terms of it's been amplified because right. let's say, for example, when it, when we were, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, yeah. we had Channel U. Yeah. And one of the big things that came out, especially around that time, was Cribs. And that was maybe the first time that we could see behind the scenes <laughs> yeah, what yeah, it was yeah. like for those yeah. people before. No, for real, for real. But now they don't necessarily have Cribs. I think Cribs is now on Snapchat. Um, you but, lost me, bro. <laughs> you lost me. Cribs is on Snapchat now. For real? Yeah. Right. I'm like, not even on Snapchat. <laughs> see, I'm an old man. See, but it's like, that was the first time we had behind the scenes footage as to what it was like for those people who lived certain kinds of lifestyles. Yeah. Now, we've got Instagram mm. and we can see everybody who's living that particular lifestyle. Before it was certain people at certain times when they chose. Now, you have to be a bit more proactive or Beyonce and Jay-Z to limit when people see the things that you want them to see and manage that. And I mm. think with social media and technology, not that it's a bad thing, but people have got more access to see what actually goes on behind the scenes, um, which to be fair, I think is a good thing as long as there is some people who are also able to, I guess, adapt it and make sure that people, or the young, young generation now can see the pitfalls as well. And I think that's something that we have a lot more access to before because than before. Because back in the day, we would have wanted to be the Ian Wrights or Sir Solid Cruz of this world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Now, obviously, everyone wants to, to a degree, either be a rapper or a footballer. Those things haven't changed, but they've also got access to different avenues. Right. The issue, to be fair, in schools is, are they able to see the different opportunities that are available to them? Because they're still going to see the rich and the wealthy. Yeah, 100%. Who, who, look, who look like them all come from similar backgrounds. Yeah. They're not gonna That's see, not going to stop. That. That's never going to stop. Yeah. So I think it's it's down to not just 
teachers, but also parents and just generally society to not necessarily get mad at the whole kind of, oh, these kids only want to see, I guess, the successes and the people who are doing big things in life, especially on social media. It's about accepting the fact that this is basically the way it's going to be. Yeah. Fine. How can you manage that? Because otherwise you're just fighting the inevitable. It's true. Yeah, it's true. But also I think, um, what would you say is, if you were to ask one of your pupils, yeah, what would you like to do when you, you know, left school yeah. as a career? Yeah. What sort of, have you, have you, have you done that before? Mm-hmm. And what, what sort of responses mm-hmm. do you normally get? It's so interesting because I find that it's not just an issue with my students, but also with my clients where I ask them, what do you want to do? And when you try to limit it to a job, either one of two things happen. They become paralyzed because they can't think of a specific job mm. or they kind of get disenfranchised because maybe the job that they wanted to do has either got a particular shelf limit or needs particular access that in one way, shape or form, they can't necessarily get. And so they become limited and they're basically kind of settled for whatever it is that they're doing. What I prefer to ask them is, what is the game that you want to play? Right? I always use the analogy of EA Sports, it's in the game, right? And when you think of it like that, it's like, okay, let's take football, for example. If you love the sport of football, are there other things that you can do apart from be a player? And I asked my brother that same question really early on because when he was six, he wanted to become a footballer, but his coach for one reason or another said that he's never going to make it. That was interesting because then he had trials for Arsenal, AFC Wimbledon, Stoke. And that's top of my head. Those are the teams I can remember, right? For one reason or another, it hasn't necessarily worked out for him. But what I've always asked him was, what would you, what would you do otherwise if you couldn't play the sport itself? And he said, I'd become a scout. So now, although he's 18, he's already making moves to become a scout because that's an alternative um, role mm. in the game that he loves. And I think that's what you have to figure out is rather than ask the question of what role do you want to do? What is the game that you want to, I guess, that you love and that you want to contribute towards instead? Gary Vee is an example. He loves entrepreneurship. Fine. So he does everything within entrepreneurship that he can do, but also respects the limits, etc., of the game. With my brother, he loves um, football. So he knows how it works and he's learning about how it works because he loves the game of football. For me, it's education. I've been a mentor. I've been a football manager. I've done extracurricular activities and now I'm becoming a teacher. But I do this because I love the game. And I think if you can learn the game you want to play instead of the job, the game gives you the ability to pivot and to change right. what you want to do. Right. Do you Absolutely. know what I mean? So it kind of gives you that longevity. Exactly. Yeah. Because you're probably never going to do the exact same job and role forever. Exactly. And if you do, you know why. And it's like, this is where I feel like I am the strongest and I can have the most impact because not everybody wants to climb up the ladder. And to be fair, I've seen people who do climb up the ladder. They're very good at a particular role, but they are poor at management. Right. And what you don't want is those people who are good at a role becoming managers when they don't actually have a passion for the game. They have a passion for the role. Right. And that, yeah. Right. So I think ask, ask what, what game are you passionate about instead is a better way to help students figure out what they want to do or where they can have an impact instead. Right. So it's just that, that change, that shift in mindset from thinking about things only like in a linear way, like yeah. jobs. Yeah. And then when you get the job, you think you'll go in this, like a linear path, but it never is a linear path. Exactly. And then you get disenfranchised. You get, you know, you get, um, you know, get disappointed because you thought that you were on this path and because you're not climbing a linear path, you're now, you know, you kind of feel like there's no, you you kind of lose yourself. Yeah. Whereas if you look at it in terms of what game do I want to play, Mm -hmm. you look at it in a sort of like a 360 kind of way. 100%. So many different avenues. I can continue playing this game, but I can explore so many different levels. Exactly. Whether moving upwards, downwards, sideways. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so. you, it's, everyone usually has like a sport or something or a field or industry that they're passionate about. Right. And that's a much easier question to ask and it's less limiting at the same time. Right. The only thing that you can do once you've figured out that industry is go and explore what are the different roles that you can do. Like, for example, let's we'll take football because it's an obvious one, right? If you love football, you can be a coach, a player, a physio, a psychologist. You can get involved in PR, social media marketing. Maybe you can get involved in data, finances, strategy, scouting, um, maybe even doing uh, volunteer courses if you have a bit more of an altruistic attitude to life. There are so many different roles that you can do within football, just alone. So don't limit yourself to a particular role. I always try to, like I've actually got an an event in the next couple of weeks where I'm going to speak to some kids um, at a college and I'm going to ask them, what is the game that you guys want to play? Don't limit yourself to a particular role. Right. Yeah. Perfect. So 
we've been doing all this talking yeah. and people that are listening, just give them an, an introduction of, I don't think you've even mentioned your to name. Be fair, I haven't mentioned my name. <laughs> it's a very good point. Just tell them your name, what you do. Yeah. We know that you're, you know, a qualified teacher. I am. You're a mentor. Yes. Your passion is like leadership and mm-hmm. name professional policy. development. So, yes. yeah. So um, my name is David Elliott with MCMI afterwards. The only reason I add that is because it basically is a qualification to become a qualified manager and leader. So um, I am a an entrepreneur. I've got my own business, Elliott Shepherds, which currently focuses on life coaching and executive consultancy. I'm also a teacher as well. And I've been doing this for about all the coaching I've been doing, all the life coaching I've been doing for about two and a half years. I had over 50 odd clients very passionate about personal development and professional development as well because I was doing that in my previous job. And I guess for me, the whole thing is about helping people figure out who they are, what their purpose is, and then helping them once they've defined that to develop it in a way that contributes to whatever it is that they're passionate about, whether it be a field or a particular industry or even just their immediate circle of influence, family, friends, whatever. But that's basically what I'm passionate about doing. And I also am trying now to do it with students as well. Right. What would you say is the biggest challenge in terms of getting your message out? Because, you know, on social media and the internet in general, yeah, it's about attention. Yes. Yeah. And yes. you're competing with things that, you know, some things have more attention than others. You yes, know, Love do. Island is out there at the moment. <laughs> you know, relationships and sex will never, ever be, yep. you know, in the shadows. Yeah. What do you say is your biggest challenge in terms of getting your message out on, on digital with all this distraction oh. that's going on? There's I think you know, it's, so much going on. I, I think it's just the general part of human nature, especially as a life coach and even as a teacher, that's like people find it difficult to actually pursue the things that they want to do. And they're much more likely to go and look for distractions rather than for the tools or the principles that are actually going to help them do what they want to do. Because it's easier and actually focusing on your life and making sure your life is better is hard work. We were talking about um, some, um, uh, can I say? Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about free shots before. Yeah. And you were like, they've come in with um, like headaches and colds and what have you. And they've still been here every single week. Consistent. Yeah. Right. That's hard. But look at where they are now. Right. So I think that for me, the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges is trying to get people to focus on and really drive it like honing on what exactly is it that they want to do and not be prone to distractions that are going to take them off track and that's really really hard I think on top of that what's also weird enough like you said about attention what's also really difficult is people who are simply using quote-unquote life coaching for I guess they're not necessarily doing it genuinely authentically they're not actually coming with anything new to the game they're not actually contributing anything new. They're just being like, oh, you know, people are trying to find better ways, especially with mental health as well. People are just like, oh, you know, I put up a few motivational quotes. I talked to a couple of my friends and now I'm a life coach. And I'm, <laughs> um, I'm making like, you know, flashy videos. And I'm basically what they're doing is they're selling the brand and not actually selling, selling anything practical that people can leave with. Yeah. And that's, especially now as a teacher, that is like an apps that gets on my nerves. Because like basically people are coming to see you as a teacher, but they're not actually coming to learn anything from you. But you're able to sell that because maybe you've got a big enough following or you've got connections or networks. And it's like, you're not necessarily, you're not necessarily providing any value, but you are selling the image of value. Kind of like what Pushy T says is, you know, in terms of selling hope to the hopeless. Yes. Do you know? That's what you're doing. You're selling hope. Yeah. You're selling hope to the hopeless. Selling hope. You're selling a lifestyle. People don't want, you know, they want the lifestyle. They want the material stuff, but yeah. they don't want to be the person they need to be. Exactly. They want to. They do want to be the person they but need to be, but the the I they like the idea mm-hmm. rather than the reality that comes with it. Exactly. Yeah. Especially at the beginning, I think like especially because and it's part of the the thing with access that you can now see the fruits of everyone's labor. But do you see the trials and the tribulations that they go through yeah. to get there? Like for example, just becoming a teacher. There's a, I think I had one good night's sleep between September and December when I was training. Just one. I remember it like it was yesterday because I was like, oh, the sleep was righteous. (laughs) Right? But people won't see that. They'll see, oh, look, David's qualified now as a teacher. It's great. It's like, yeah, it's great. I'm qualified, but it was a tough journey, especially Mm. in in my particular subjects where you don't get paid 
for a subject which is actually meant to be core to the curriculum, you don't get paid to do it, to do um, citizenship. Whereas English, math, science and etc., you can get a grant. You don't get a grant for citizenship. That was hard because then it basically meant I had to think about how am I going to earn money? How am I going to support myself? How am I going to pay these bills? Do you know what I mean? So it's like a lot of that comes back to, the, to what you said. You've got to figure out, make you've got to make sure that people can actually get down to the nitty gritty. And to be fair, I can't, it's kind of like going to the gym. You're going to hate going there, but you're going to feel so good afterwards. Yeah. And yeah. when I see my clients, either start their own businesses, take up qualifications, start, um, maybe make pivots in terms of changing their careers, right? Or even in some cases, actually acknowledging this is the industry I want to be in, but I'm finding it difficult in my current workplace. And they make those sorts of changes. It's like, that's the impact that I'm looking for. And to be fair, walking with them through those challenges makes it all so much more worthwhile. Love it. Yeah. So you talk about, um, you've, you're an entrepreneur as well. Yes. So talk a little bit more about the entrepreneurial side of what you did. Yeah. So um, to be fair, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I realized that what I wanted to contribute and what I wanted to do, I couldn't do within my workplace. Yeah. Right. Um, you, you either get two ways in life. You can either become an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur. And I think companies are more often than not, they're now trying to get to grips with the whole entrepreneur aspect, which is basically people becoming more creative and having more leeway and accountability and responsibility to do things that they think are actually going to have an impact on the, on the overall business. I couldn't necessarily do that at my old company. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to start my own at the end of the day. I didn't really didn't want to do it because it's tiring. And especially with teaching, I'm burning the candle at both ends. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I, it's not one of those things that I would recommend to people. I wouldn't be like, yeah, you know, start your own life. Like, why would you live nine to five? Listen, some people like the nine to five, you know, they just want the security and the stability. And that is all right. Because this entrepreneurial lifestyle isn't for everyone. You've yeah. got a, you get a lot of rejection a lot of rejection. You have to come up with your own ideas. You've also got to limit your ideas because you can't do 15 things at exactly. one time. Yeah. You've got to build a team and that's hard in and of itself, especially when you've got to get people to buy into it and things like that. So for me, it, was, it, was, it wasn't something that I always wanted to do. I thought, I didn't mind managing, but I never thought that I wanted to start something on my own and create it from scratch. And I've learned so much and it's been hard, like tax returns. Um, was it, is it company statements? Yeah, the confirmation annual, annual report, annual report, company returns. Oh. Yeah, bookkeeping. Book. It's all long. <laughs> it's all long. Like it is. It is. And by it looks glamorous online, right? It looks like you know you can put CEO and founder in your in your profile. It's long. It's actually long because all long. these things, especially if you haven't, if you're starting out from scratch on your own, you're you're, you're bootstrapping it. It's not it, like everything you have. Everything you're doing is by force. You have to wear every single hat. Yes. So it's not a journey I would personally recommend unless it's something that you feel you can't put into another business elsewhere and you're like this the only way this is going to happen is if i do it for myself or start out by myself exactly yeah because it's long yeah i mean the internet definitely makes it a lot easier in terms of like virtual assistants yes. you can get people to answer the phone you can get you know pay someone to do the bookkeeping for yes. you yeah um but apart from that like you said it is a lot of different hats to wear mm. And it's not as glamorous as it looks. And I don't think people are even painting the full picture, to be fair, online. What, what, you're what, seeing the end result of everything. Yeah. What, what do you think, like, because you're a lot more tech savvy than, especially myself. What yeah. do you think would be, I guess, a good way to mitigate all of the different, like the different issues that come up with starting your own startup? Um, have a process. Okay. So have a written process and just figure out what you can offload to somebody else. Oh, yes. You know, make a list of things that somebody else could possibly do for you. Yeah. And then all the other stuff, try and do it yourself. Mm. But if it's if there's more stuff that you have to do for yourself, ask yourself, is that really necessary? Yeah. Is this a need? Yeah. So kind of like strip down and just get as small as possible. Yeah. Get as lean as possible. I think based on what you said, like getting somebody to do my marketing has been a godsend. Yeah. Um, so so Dami, who now basically manages the Instagram and the Twitters and um, actually the events that we do, I don't have to do any of that because if there's one thing I've always hated doing is managing events. Yeah. Like I see events like international management where you get you have like a limited period of time and you've got one objective and then once it's done, it's done. Yeah. I hate that. I prefer day-to-day -day management. Yeah. Managing people on like 
for long periods of time. So being able to offload that and and have not only just offload it, but Dami's grown from it as well. Yeah. Like I think, yeah, in terms of having a process and offloading what you can to someone else and delegating that mm. whilst also having a little bit of an understanding of what you're asking them to do is important. Yeah. So, yeah. So you've got a podcast with her now. Yes. So, so she's co-hosting your podcast, right? Yes. Yeah. So t- tell us a little bit more about your podcast and what kind of content you so, discuss on there. So the podcast is called Lead Your Legacy and it's about personal and professional development. What we usually do is we have a personal segment and a professional segment based on the same topic. So the next one we've got coming out is about unions. So we start off by looking at families and then we end by looking at teams and to a degree, even the country in terms of different unions, because obviously Brexit, right? So we look at how people, we give people insights into how those particular themes can impact their personal lives as well as their professional lives. And I think it's always interesting because I've, having managed, it's very different in terms of how you see things as a manager to how you might see things as an employee or part of a team. Yes. So the fact that me and Demi can have that different sort of perspective in terms of this is how I would respond to it as a manager and how this is how somebody would respond to it as somebody who's being employed is always an interesting perspective. So we look at personal and professional development and we just try to find inspiring little tidbits to help people figure out how they can lead their legacies. Right. And who would you say would be the perfect sort of person to listen to your podcast? Like what sort of things do you find interact with you most that is a great question so i guess basically anyone who's between 18 to 35 right millennials or gen z's who you're trying to figure out maybe their careers or figuring out relationships or figuring out if they want to become managers or entrepreneurs or whatever because in one way shape or form we all work and we all belong we all have personal lives and we all have professional lives yeah so i think anyone who is looking for inspiration motivation as well and trying to find actual practical tools in ways in which they can improve their personal and professional lives yeah like you said a lot of that is missing a lot of like if you look online you'll find motivation or inspiration in abundance yes but what you won't find is practical advice yeah for specific environments because for example in america it's a different ball game to what it is here Mm. so if you're listening to something someone like gary v he might give you a piece of advice yeah it could work in general yeah but it may work better out there because that's a different environment to what it is out here yeah and then you look at it like if you follow people who look like you Mm. who are getting the same the results that you want it's very different to let's say for example you're following a middle-aged white man who has a certain amount of privileges (laughs) the advice might not wash with you it might not do you know what i mean or if you're if you're a lady and you're you know you've got you face different things to yes. what men face yes you know it's easier to navigate coming from someone who's been who's actually walked yeah. in your shoes before as well yeah like i think that's what's good about me and dami's dami's worked in the private sector and i've worked in the third sector and the public sector now right and obviously also being an entrepreneur so we've got different understandings of certain things but we also make sure that that whatever principles we're talking about you can adapt them to your particular works uh, workplace and you're right in terms of if you've got people that look like you or especially whether you're british or black or from an ethnic background it's like especially with me and dami's podcast you're going to learn things about for example code switching which if you're you know white british you might not necessarily have to do or worry about or think about mm. whereas if you're talk about that for a sec what, what is code switching right so code switching is basically the ability to adapt your message depending on who you're talking to right so for example if i was to go into if i was to go when i go home and i talk with my brothers or my sisters or my friends in south london or whatever um then i can just be like oh what's good do you know what i mean what's what's going on now if i go into work I have to be like, good morning, everyone. How are you? What have you What have you been up to on the weekend? Yeah, I've got to tailor my message to whoever it is I'm speaking to. And to be fair, once in a while it might slip up, especially my students. They'll catch on to when the south, when the kind of no, normal South London in me, when the Croydon, the, when the, the Croydon, Croydon comes out, exactly. <laughs> so that's always interesting. Yeah, but I think. Yeah, you, you're going to have to code switch in certain environments. And it's one of those things that I think, especially if you're coming from an ethnic an ethnic background, you might not necessarily get that on a white podcast. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's learning about those different ways in, in which you can manage the work aspect of your personal and professional life. And even sometimes those cultural norms, because Dami is Nigerian. I'm 
half Ugandan, half Jamaican. So there's always different cultural elements in which yeah. we like, okay, especially with uh, from Dami's perspective, it's like we always find interesting ways in which we have to tie our culture in with what exactly is that we're doing in our personal professional lives. Like one of the things that I've discovered, especially working in schools in Southeast London, is that girls nowadays, they come into schools with um, like proper wigs proper wigs and the greatest weave that's coming. Yeah, it's like, it's like, and it's, it's funny because I'm hearing how if, if they were adults, this stuff would be expensive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And what's also interesting is that, especially culturally in the school that I've been working in, they've got um like head wraps and all of these things, which weird enough in some schools, depending on the, I guess the head teacher or the culture, there's not, they're not even allowed. Yeah. So it's like all of these different cultural elements that we can explore from a personal and professional aspect in terms of professionalism and what have you, you can get that on a black British podcast that you might not necessarily get if it's an American podcast. Exactly. Or even yeah. if it's a white British podcast. Yeah. Amazing. So when is, when is, how often does that podcast come out and so what day does it drop? So it comes out every two weeks. It's a fortnightly podcast. Yeah. Um, it drops on Sunday evening slash Monday morning. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's on available on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, basically every other podcast app because it comes out via Anchor as well. Yeah. And that's called Lead Your Legacy. Lead Your Legacy. Yeah. Okay, cool. So in terms of, let's, let's segue into education again. Yes. Did you hear about Google? coming out with their own university yes what are your thoughts yes on that? i have i think it's great yeah if i'm honest i think the way university is done in this country is incredibly expensive incredibly elitist and to a point isn't exactly practical mm. if i'm totally honest and it's weird because you're paying for something that's very expensive and seems to be getting more expensive by the decade for skills that people struggle to actually utilize into careers that they're not necessarily exactly sure of what the the progress or the ambitions or the impact yeah. of, of what they're going to be. They're not sure if they're gonna, not even going to stay there. And the, that, that path is not promised. That linear path is not promised. And remember, exactly. what, you know, like what you were saying before about thinking about it in a 360 kind of way rather mm. than a linear approach. Mm. Most people are still in the old mindset of thinking, at, thinking of it as I'm going to climb the career ladder. Yeah. So... Exactly. <laughs> you're losing from the minute... You sign up. Yep. And the kind of, I guess, more culturally prominent degrees, you know, law, um, medicine, uh, those are kind of the two big ones, right? They're expensive and they're long as well. Like they're good seven, seven years. And if you're doing law, once you've done the typical uni route, student finance goes out of the picture. You've actually got to start looking for firms to actually sponsor you or pay you well enough that you can save and actually do your official um, solicitor and barrister courses. Yeah. So it's like, and I think what's also funny, especially if you're looking at a public services job, like in healthcare or education, is that more often than not, you're paying to do jobs and to get an education in industries that need you more than they need them. Mm. There's not only a retention crisis, but there's also a recruitment crisis. And with the current climate of the country, it's only going to get worse. And not only that, but with technology, how many of these jobs that people can, I guess, do outside of public services, how many yeah. of them are going to be offloaded or tailored in a way that's going to be more economically cheaper, but weirdly enough, also more efficient. And then people who either haven't got degrees or have degrees that they haven't used are now going to be like, oh, yeah. what have I got this? What have I spent 27 grand just on the degree, not on... Exactly. <laughs> not on the on the, the traveling, not on the books, not on the even like the student loan for for rent and accommodation. Yeah. Just the degree itself, 27 bags for free. No, no, no. Jesus. No, no. So I think with Google, McDonald's, uh, <laughs> with Google, McDonald's, and those and I think it's I think I read there's four thousand different corporations who have their own universities. Is Amazon one of them? I didn't see Amazon to be fair, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But with those kind of companies, it's like, not only do you get a degree, um, not only do you get qualifications that are practical and they're modulized as well. So there's not much that much difference. They're also much cheaper. I think I was looking at one for Google today. I think it's like 625 pounds. That's for, amazing. Right? And yeah. I think you can do the course in anywhere between a day to a few months. And it's literally about a ninth of the price for an actual university degree for a year. 
Yeah. So it's like, why would you, why would, no, 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 no. So I think they're going to change the game. And the thing is, especially with student finance and debt, there's going to be, like we saw with the credit crunch all for even those are people who are the listeners who are a bit younger who didn't see the credit the credit crisis with the housing etc there's going to come a point where all of this debt that hasn't been paid back is going to come to a collapse yeah and they're going to be needing people who've got practical skills that are quickly implementable and of some sort of value that's when we're going to see how much of a difference it's going to make and to be fair a social media degree from google it's probably going to be much better than a social media degree from just like a any university. university yeah. Right. They're always years behind anyway. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if you look at some of the literature on digital culture, digital media, yeah. social media, it is way, way behind. Way right. Behind. Like I think because it's changing every minute anyway. So by the time the book is published, yeah. it's old anyway. <laughs> exactly. So like, I think, so you sent me a video about the, like this guy who's looking at Google university. And the thing is, he, what he's saying was right in terms of the stuff that you're learning in some cases you're going to have a lecturer who's teaching you stuff that is three to four years old arguably obsolete you're paying nine grand for something you can no longer use and can't use in the future why <laughs> oh, my chest. why and the funny thing is he probably hasn't even okay maybe he has had a job but sometimes more often than not and this is my issue sometimes with academics they haven't actually done the job that they're teaching you about they're all they're doing is teaching you theory yes. and research yes. and no actual experience of what it's like to do with the job and that is where not only am i uh, am i annoyed in terms of this current state of education but i'm like why would you do why how is this effective for to run a country it doesn't make sense yeah science got to give something eventually. has to give and it'll probably be the debt yeah simply put it will be the debt and people are going to look for different but more streamlined ways to get educated in places like Google University where you get a degree from people who are doing the job and have worked in the field and have the skills and can teach you about the past, the present and the future of your specific, if not job, but industry are going to be much more valuable than getting a social media degree from literally any other standard bricks and mortar university. Yeah. That's not a specialist. Boy, it's interesting times, man. Yes, yes, it is. Interesting times. And the funny thing is, if you look to America, um, they were very big on sort of informal education in terms of skills like around um, like social media, mm. marketing, business. Yeah. Um, a lot of like one-man bands setting up their own online digital classes and making a killing with it. Yeah. But I find that in the UK, we're not as, accept we're not accepting for some reason when it comes to that. Mm -mm. What, what are your thoughts on that? So in terms of like not, the UK not being as accepting when it comes to like entrepreneurialism and stuff like that or? No, like for example, online education. So for example, Ooh. in the US, yes. people would typically see an ad for, um, I don't know, learn how to do social media marketing or whatever. Yeah. And they'll pay like $500, $500 uh, for, year, for a year's access to go through the, all the different yeah. modules and then attend webinars and stuff like that. And it, they make a killing. But the minute someone in the UK does it, it's yeah. like, mm, do, you, do you know what I think There's so much resistance. I think it's because there was a study that showed that basically they asked people, would you rather study online or study or still go to school or university? And to be fair, I think it was 62% of people would still much rather go to university or study in person in a class yeah. than they would online. Okay, it's still quite a big number. I mean, 38, 38 to 40% is still a huge number of people who much rather sit behind their computers and, and study online, which is great. The issue is when it comes to interacting with a team, mm. putting that into practice in an organization, in a company, you can't just do it from behind the computer. You've got to learn... I guess the softer skills and the discussion skills and the critical thinking skills that you can only learn from being part of a class or seminar. And I think that's the element I think people are losing out on when they study online exclusively and they don't learn to interact or have their ideas challenged in person and have those discussions and debates that actually, if anything, actually improve the ideas that they're actually trying to have. So yeah. I haven't got anything against online universities, I think what's better is if those online universities are attached in some way, shape or form to interactions and discussions that actually improve people's ideas and get them to critically reflect. Yeah. Like FutureLearn is a great resource for online learning. I've used it for two or three qualifications. Yeah. What's been good about that is we do peer-to-peer -peer assessments and discussions about specific topics or modules, yeah. which is great. That being said, it's not necessarily it's it's harder to transfer into real life because with my PGCE, you're learn you're practicing what you're preaching four out of five days a week, 
and then you're learning the theory mm. and then you're going again. Yeah. So I think you've got to find that balance between online learning and being around people and if developing your ideas because yeah. like, especially with in this current climate with university, I think a, a lot of people aren't used to their ideas being criticized or shut down. They take it personally. When you're at uni and you're doing seminars, that's basically every, all that's happening. You're having very heated discussions. The other issue is, however, nobody wants to go to uni and travel and commute or spend nine grand to be to have something read from a PowerPoint. And then and a lot of the arguments are, I could have done it at home. Yeah. And it's true. You could have done it at home. And it's not worth the nine grand you're paying. And universities, especially, are gonna have to find that balance between interactions and actual career progression. Yeah. As well as making sure that people, if they want to, and they're not going to be penalized, can study online. Yeah. But what do you think about in terms of like learning very specific skills, like short courses? So for example, Ooh. if I want to learn video editing, yeah. Um, you could go to union, do like media and production <laughs> or you can learn a very very specific skill set like I don't know special effects yeah you can learn that online yeah in the US those kind of things are flying but over here mm. I find that consumers are very reluctant to fork out three four five hundred pounds yep they would rather like do it for free on YouTube yeah I think do you, it's, know, do you know what I mean a hundred percent I think it's, it's it's that balance between like doing it for free on YouTube, but to a degree, not necessarily getting the qualification. Because for me, I'm not really necessarily a big fan of getting the qualifications, but the one things that qualifications do that you don't have to do with anything else is nobody can doubt or deny that you can yeah. actually do something. It's, you, it's there, quali- it's on paper, yeah. Right, so there's a lot less discussion proving needing to be done. You can just be like, I've got this qualification, boom. Yeah. Right? That being said, I think when it comes to the kind of longer four, five, hundred online courses, you need to find places that are being like or courses that are being set up by actual unis. So FutureLearn, once again, is a great, great resource because a lot of the courses are done by actual, the short courses are done by actual universities. So University of Leeds, um, universities in Scotland, like four more official places are now actually, weird enough, creating short courses for people to actually do online. Yeah. So I think they're realizing there's a, there's a, there's a, if not a need, at least a very small demand yeah. that can provide some sort of revenue. Yeah. And they're finding, I think it's, it will blow up over the next couple of years because nine grand for a year. <laughs> is, no. I, when I was in uni, I, my fees were, I think they were like three grand. Yeah, mine yeah, too. Yeah. Three grand a year, yeah. <laughs> and then, and even that, I was like, <sighs> exactly. So nine grand. And then it's like, you're not sure when exactly you're going to pay off. Like, and it comes out, it's basically, it's basically a gra- uh, graduate tax. Yeah, 100%. If you're earning a certain amount, it's coming out thick and fast. Before you even get to yeah. see it, it's yeah. just taken immediately. And it's like, if you don't get to see the fruits of this labor of this spending 27 grand just for the degree, and then you've got this debt, boy, why, why, like, especially as more people who graduate are going to start telling, speaking to the kids and be like, the degree was nice to have, but <laughs> it maybe wasn't yeah. worth the money that I spent on it. And even, for example, my brother, he's now looking at, I guess, whether or not it's worthwhile going to uni or doing the course, funnily enough, online because it's a lot cheaper. A lot cheaper. And you can hit the ground running as well a lot quicker. Exactly. Like he can just go off and do the scouting immediately. He hasn't got to go and spend 27 grand on the degree, maybe an extra, arguably 20 to 30, 40 grand on the accommodation and the lifestyle, etc. He can just be like, cool, I know exactly what it is that I want to do. It's going to cost me, I think for him, it's going to cost about 500 pounds to get to the top level of um qualifications of scouting that's that's less than um, a ninth of what it would cost him to do one year of uni yeah and he can hit the ground running yeah and start a lot earlier than arguably his peers yeah why not have you had, have you had any plans to like create a digital version of your your mentorship program yes. yourself or? yeah i think like i've wanted to do it's, it's been weird because so the personal development course, the U lead course, we've now got it to a place where I'm very, very happy with it. Right. And the next, I guess the next part of it is to figure out how can we move it online? The issue with moving it online, however, is you lose a little bit of the relationship aspect. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that in the feedback that we've got from our clients, it's very difficult to do it over the phone. So moving it online is a bit weird. So if, if, I'm not necessarily trying to be romantic, but I'm just realizing what people value about the course yeah. and how to get more out of it. And if yeah. I can, 
I'll have a look at maybe doing it online, maybe doing apps in terms of holding people accountable to their goals where they can pull it in there. And then it's like, okay, cool. You can check it off. And then it gives not only the client, but the coach, um, a reminder or notification that this person has done the goal that they set out to do. Great. You can follow them up on that. But moving the whole course online without any coaching intervention, I don't think would be best, but parts of it. Yes. We do need to go online. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's been been good. Talk, good, <laughs> it's been good. It's been good chatting with you. And yes. um, thank you for. Having I know. Me I know the listeners have got some vital nuggets of information there, especially like when you talked about the way people think about their career paths and stuff mm. like that. Even me, I never really thought of it that way. Yeah. So if I'm having a conversation with like my kids. You know, um, being able to articulate it in that way, I've yeah. never really thought about it. Like, just think of the game you actually want to play. There's yeah. so many different levels. It doesn't have to necessarily be going up and up and up because you, you don't anyway, because industries change all the time. Exactly. And then, some t- like today, your job title might be relevant, tomorrow, it might not be. Yeah. It might be replaced by technology. And that's another thing we forgot to kind of like dive deeper into. Yeah. Technology, AI, that is coming for. Every single job, and yeah. I didn't realize how quickly it was coming. For like, I used to think that the uh, the driving industry was protected. No, until I saw Waymo. Have you heard of Waymo? No, I haven't. That's Google's. Um, Is that an automated car? Automated taxi. Right. So Google have got that. Then you've got Uber working on another automated taxi service as yeah. well. And then you've got healthcare. You talked about uh, working in you know healthcare and yeah. stuff like that. Even GPs mm. are on apps now that they can do remote yeah. remote consultations. Yes. It's just everywhere. So jobs are just going to be morphing into other jobs yeah. or disappearing altogether. So mm. is the school system actually preparing kids for the world that we're actually going Great into? Question. That is the golden question. I think my simple answer to that is yes and no. Yes, in a way that it's, a, a good education system re- understands that it's not going to be able to predict the jobs in the next five or 10 years. This is the fundamental truth. It's got, it's got the current climate, but when we were in school, there was no social media. Yeah. Facebook wasn't even alive then. Yeah. When I started school, YouTube came out when I think I was in year nine or 10. That was like 2006. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it was like, oh, in my case, year 11. So <laughs> it was like, there was no way the school could have said, yeah, you know, we can prepare you for a career at a company that we don't know exists. Doesn't make sense. So I think what schools, when they do, when they do things well, give you the skills to be able to adapt to different um, economic or career climates. They just have to accept we can't predict the careers in five or 10 years time. We can only work on the careers that we've got now. Great. In terms of no, I think that's the issue is that they're not getting enough. They're not adapting. the, The curriculum isn't adapting well enough. It's not adapting fast enough. Not at all. And the funny thing is, because we're in the in di- we're in the uh, digital, um, it's like the start of a new industrial revolution. Yeah, but it's the digital version. Yes. Whereas in the industrial revolution, they did they had this big window of 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 time where they could actually predict, yeah. predict and prepare you know kids for mm. careers and stuff like that because there wasn't much changing after the, the world war after world war ii there yeah. wasn't much changing you was either you go into banking you could go into finance you could go into healthcare and those jobs were kind of like there were so many other solid predictable yeah you know career, career paths, paths. Yeah. but now even if you get a job today the job that you actually signed for, the job description, your manager two, three months later after probation, they get comfortable say, you know what? You're quite good at this. Exactly. Why don't you do that? And you'll do it because, uh, you know, it's experience. Yeah. It's, it's going to go on your CV. Exactly. But you end up doing like seven jobs, but you signed up for like, like for the one job. And I think- There's that, no clear distinction. There's no path. No one- And I think that's part of the issue with the curriculum. Like if if- because one of my ambitions is to start my own school. Yeah. And the two of the things that I would have to get done is we're changing English and we're changing maths. Not to say that they're rubbish, um, but they're not fit for purpose right. anymore. Right? In a sense where, especially with English, let's take English as an example. English, I would change the communications. Because that's basically what English is meant to do. It's meant to teach you how to communicate. Right. But the minute you put English on it in its current form, you're looking at Shakespeare and having to remember 20 poems. 
in an age where we have Wikipedia. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and you're yeah. spending more time memorizing poems and actually analyzing the things. Yes. And I think that will help in terms of understanding the impact of language, understanding the history. I'm not saying get rid of Shakespeare. I'm saying, look, at, it's important to understand the history of your language. So maybe, especially if you're looking at English, you study Shakespeare in year seven. Yeah. But not in year 10 and 11. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Maybe you start, you, it gives you the scope to look at the impact of modern forms of communication whether it be text messages emojis which before christ were hieroglyphics it's true right when you when you put it out when you put it out yeah people have different ways of communicating and not only that but it also helps you to adapt in a way that for example if you're in a different culture especially outside of britain or even sometimes within britain you understand the nuances of communication and how one word in one particular part of the country for example in london is very different in another part of the country yeah so when i speak to my year 11s and we're doing citizenship and they're writing down their answers and they say um for example snitching when we're talking about law mm. and we say to them you can't put snitching in your exam paper and for them it's like everyone knows what that word means it's like no, not everyone knows what that word means. And because we've seen exam papers and we've seen when people were like colloquialisms <laughs> from their region of the country, but to the examiner who's never lived in that part of the country, they have no idea about what this person's speaking about. Yeah. So I think when you put it down to communication, you can actually study these things and you're not necessarily being romantic about Shakespeare or whatever. And you can actually look at maybe, for example, really, really popular books like Harry Potter, um, Mallory Blackman Noughts and Crosses you can actually start to look at great British writers yeah. and a variety of books and not be hemmed in by this kind of old romantic view of what English is meant to be rather than actually basing it on communication and my last point would be especially with guys we always hear about oh guys find it difficult to express themselves and what have you well we we look at people like Drake right who is probably one of the most emotionally intelligent male artists currently at the moment why couldn't we spend some time, especially in English, looking at Drake's lyrics and how he communicates himself emotionally and what he's feeling? Mm. How would that not be beneficial to not just guys, but also to women as well? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, man. But there's so much bureaucracy in like oh my God. education. And it comes from the political system. Yes. The change that they can't make any changes in government without <sighs> It's just long, bro. <laughs> do, do, do you know what my thing is, right? I always see it like this as well. And I think especially from a technological standpoint, they've written the book and how do you go about making changes? Sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Mm. And for me, if, you know, God willing, if the goal, if the goal happens, I'm not going to ask for permission to change English to communication. We're just going to change it. I'm going to try and get an exam board on board with us and we're going to change it. And we're going to include things like Excel spreadsheets in maths rather than them looking at whiteboards and chalkboards and writing down equations. Why not learn how to use equations? Yes. Yes. It's 2019. Wow. So why why won't you learn how to use formulas in an Excel spreadsheet? Because that is currently where the climate is in terms of if you're using maths, this is where you're going to have to use it. Even, so I'm sometimes a little bit of a, like a tech nerd, right? So I will look at visual effects um, kind of compilations or people who talk about visual effects. And they will talk about, I was watching a video actually about the development of Pixar over time. Yeah. And one of the things that they said was, if you want to become a visual effects artist, you have to learn how to use physics and do maths on a computer. Why not do that? In, in maths you've learned these formulas why not learn how to apply them even as a football manager I actually had to think about Pythagoras theorem in terms of how I would station my players wow right so that's that's the first time I've ever had like a real practical <laughs> application for something like that exactly like the whole thing about maths is that it's meant to teach you how to think mm. that's it but the minute you put it down to maths you don't think about actually adapting the processes that you learn within maths as to how you're going to think about things. And everyone needs it. Like whether it be, for example, just simply getting into your house, phone wallet keys equals I'm good to leave, leave, I'm good to leave my house. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. If one of those things is missing, I know that there's a problem that therefore requires a solution. Okay, great. It's not that difficult. That's simply A plus B plus C equals Z or whatever. Right. When people start putting these things in place, in, in place and changing the curriculum to actually make it more adaptable to the future. Yeah then we'll have a curriculum that's fit for purpose. Yeah. And also the kids will be a lot more interested. <laughs> exactly. In they, they will get it. Because remember, all this stuff that's that they're learning now is from like 100, 100 years ago. 
And I think that they're failing to see the correlation between what they're doing and the practical, yeah, the, the world that they're actually yeah. living in now. And teachers, so, are, and if I'm honest, the, from a lot of teachers that are either in the job that I've spoken to or are coming into the job, when I would spend time talking to the maths and science trainee students, they it was them that had an issue with, I don't understand why we're still doing maths on whiteboards and like the equivalent of chalkboards and just doing equations and stuff. Why are we not teaching them how to practically use this stuff? Why not teach them how to use it on their phones? Why not teach them how to use it even sometimes to read data, like simply reading data, it's which true. is maths, true. pie charts, graphs, all of this stuff yeah. you can do in Excel, even on Instagram, when you look at insights. And you look at how, or if you've got um, a podcasting app and you can look at how your growth has changed over yes, time yes. and being able to analyze that, that's all understanding maths and thinking about problems and solutions. Yeah. But the same not, with stocks and shares and stuff like that, being able to read like trending lines and Bollinger Bands and things like that. Right. That, should, that stuff should be included, you Exactly. Know? And there should be more of a focus, especially like it's, as a citizenship teacher, we have, we teach now a little bit more about money than they used to be taught about. Mm. But if I'm honest, money should be very, very core to the mass curriculum. Yes. Not just in terms of um, personal finances, but macroeconomics, the value of the, uh, of of money in pounds and things like that. That should be taught in maths. Yeah. But it's not. Well, we could go into a whole different yes. discussion. Maybe maybe on another pod, bro. Yes, exactly. It'd be good to have you again. Thank you. But yeah, man, I've got to thank you for coming on. For everyone listening, just let them know where they can find you online yep. and how they can find the, uh, like, get more information about what it is that you're doing. So the, we have a website, which is www.elliotshepherds.uk. Two L's and two T's in Elliot. Um, my Instagram and Twitter is shepherd underscore E27 on both Instagram and Twitter. Same thing goes for Elliot Shepherds, which is another handle, ES underscore leaders. Um, so we've got an event on the 20th of July in Croydon uh, during the day so people can still go out and party uh, afterwards. It's going to be for about two and a half hours, but the whole point of the, it's a personal development workshop and we're going to be teaching people how they can figure out what their legacy is and how they can plan it and actually pull it into action. Perfect. I will be there. 20th of July, right? Yes, 20th of July. Okay. Dope. Thanks for coming on board and uh, yeah, we will see you next time. Redesigned. That is it for this week. Make sure you use the hashtag RedesignPod. Get involved in the conversation. Follow us on the socials at Andrew underscore CBX, both on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to drop me a line, you can use the email address redesignpod at mail.com. And wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, sorry, Stitcher, Acast, SoundCloud. Make sure you follow, like, comment, share, all that good stuff. And I will be back with another episode next week. Take care and bye for now. We, 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 we designed. We designed.